This is your house. These are your neighbor's houses. How many of these neighbors do you know by name? Go ahead, try to name them. drop a poop mine off of your grass and anytime my dog drops something I have one of these to pick it up oh no it's your dog all right I got it on my ring camera and I already posted it on next door and everybody agrees <laughs> everybody agrees that you're rude uh, not as rude as you oh, whatever man just leave your scraggly annoying dog on your side or I'm gonna punt him back over your fence the only thing scraggly and annoying around here are you and your kids. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> what the? What happened here? Is this like... That's real egg. They use, they use real egg, Todd. Wow. What? What happened here? Did anybody see what happened? What happened? There was what? There was a fight? Well, who started the fight? Did anybody catch who started it? The old guy? The loud lady? Man, it escalated fast. Today, we are talking about neighbor conflicts and the call to peacemaking. Now, it's not nearly as dramatic a story, but I'll tell you one from my childhood that didn't end up with eggs uh, here, but it lasted pretty long. So when I was, um, when I was a kid, um, my parents decided to repaint their house. 
And they picked this uh, shade of, of blue they thought would look nice, and they painted their house. And uh, wow, I mean, it came out a lot brighter than anyone expected. I mean, it was, like, it was just like, wow, that's like not what they, it's not what it looked like in the picture, you know? And they were thinking to themselves, well, maybe it just needs to dry, you know, get a little dirt on it. It'll, it'll, it'll fade. And they're just kind of making up their minds over the first few days that they're really thinking, we, we, you know, we may need to repaint our house because uh, this is really bright. But let me tell you why they didn't repaint the house. It's because we had a neighbor named Wanda uh, who uh, had introduced herself to us at one point as the, uh, the president of Forest Lane. Apparently it was a self-appointed title. And uh, she came over a couple days after the, the, the house was painted, crying, sobbing. And uh, my parents answered the door, well, what's wrong, Wanda? And she said, well, I'll tell you what's wrong. It's your house. It's so ugly. <laughs> I don't know how you could have picked such a color, but I'll make you a deal if you'll repaint your house. Because, oh my gosh, I wake up every morning, and I look out the window, and I see, ugh, your house. If you will change your paint color, I will bake you a pie every month for as long as you live here. My parents were so annoyed. They were so annoyed at, at, at this interaction and this offer and just the way, she, the way she went about it that they made a decision to not repaint the house. And that's a decision they stuck to for the next 10 years until Wanda moved away. And then they repainted the house. <laughs> I'll share with you another uh, story I heard from um, a member of our congregation, our executive director, Sue McKinney. Say hi, Sue. Now, now, sometimes if I tell you a Sue McKinney story, but I forget to ask her permission, I disguise her name and I call her Blue McVinney. Um, but today I don't have to. I can reveal that, in fact, it's Sue McKinney that told me the story. She, she told us a story. This is kind of an ongoing thing at the moment. Uh, she has a neighbor that likes to dump things in her yard and uh, just, throw, just sneaks over and throws things into her yard. And we're, we asked her questions like, well, what kind of things? And she's like, oh, it could be anything. But I was like, what's, the, the, what's like an example? And she said, chicken guts. Chicken guts, bloody chicken guts. And I was incredulous. I said, this cannot be. And she said, oh, yeah, I have security footage. You guys want to see it? Here it comes, the bloody chicken guts. Sue's house is on the right. There it goes. I think that was just the blood there on that one. Okay. Take that, she says. Now, now I've seen about eight of these security footages of Sue's, uh, from Sue's doorbell of things getting thrown over to her yard. What about you? What happens on your street, right? What is the most annoying thing that one of your neighbors does or has done in the past? What's something that's happened on your street, your next door neighbor, or your cross the fence neighbor, something that happens with their dog or their trees or their kids or their car or, or their, the property line or their security cameras or something that just has been a source of conflict between you and a neighbor? This is gonna be a fun one. I'm gonna invite you to find a partner 
And as always when we do this, I invite all of you to look around, make sure that no one's left out, anyone's come. This is your opportunity to go and be a good neighbor. Okay, find someone, make sure everyone is, is partnered up. And I want to invite you to discuss, just share one conflict that you have had with a neighbor. Ready? All right, go. <laughs> Judging by the volume in the room, you've had some conflicts. All right, people, let's bring it back in. You're going to get a follow-up. You're going to get a follow-up discussion a little later. Just based on what I heard, a few of you have had some conflicts in the past. So let's look at some scripture which would guide us, because what we, what we just described, that's the world we live in. We live in a world with conflicts, uh, a world in which people bump up against one another, and they don't always handle it well. But we who are Christians, we who are seeking the way of Jesus, let's be guided by Jesus uh, and be guided by the scriptures on how do we engage in such a world. We're going to start in Romans 12, and then we'll go to the Sermon on the Mount for a number of texts. Okay, so the first one, Romans 12, we're going to do uh, 16 through 18. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, do not, but, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here we go. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So let's take it just a phrase at a time. I'll just kind of highlight one of those phrases at a time. First one, we're commanded in Scripture to live in harmony with one another. Are we doing that? Can we honestly say that our relationships are harmonious? What's our, what's our neighbor's relationships with each other? Sometimes there might be a conflict on your street, and you're not a party of that conflict, but you're aware of it. Maybe both neighbors talk to you about it. Are our neighborhoods in a state of harmony? Well, it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on us, let the scripture live in harmony with one another. Second phrase, be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And that includes our neighbor's eyes. We tend to be really good at taking our own side of a conflict and rationalizing our own offenses. And when we're in a conflict with our neighbors, we like to think, well, in my own eyes, I'm right. And so it's everything's fine. But the scripture says, be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And that's gonna include your neighbor's eyes. Would your neighbor agree that your action is right? Or are you just gonna do it anyway and your neighbor has to deal with it? My, uh, uh, so I live in a house where I've been in for about a year and a half, and I hear a lot of stories from my next door neighbor about the previous occupant of my house. And some of the stories I've heard, you know, six, seven times, because they're significant to my neighbor. And one of those stories is about a dispute in the property line, okay? So my neighbor has the perspective that the property line is here, 
But the previous occupant believed the property line was here. And this little strip was this very significant conflict for them, and they disagreed about who had the right to do what on that. And apparently the previous occupant of my home decided he was just going to go ahead and hire someone to do a pavement thing to claim that as his property line, installed some sprinklers and did the whole thing, kind of landscaped it to look like on his side. But my new neighbor wants to remind me, hey, just so you know, this, is, this little strip here, this is a squatting line. It's actually my property. Now, I actually don't know. I haven't looked at the records. I actually don't know exactly. But I know that the previous occupant, the previous owner where we live, did what was right in his own eyes, but what was wrong in his neighbor's eyes, and still bothers him years later, that experience. What do we do? Do we do what's right only in our own eyes, or do we also take into great consideration what's right in our neighbor's eyes? It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think it's very helpful here that it says, as far as it depends on you. Because it recognizes sometimes it doesn't depend on you, right? Sometimes the, the, the neighbor is just, you know, at odds and unwilling to live at peace with you. But the scripture says, well, as far as it does depend on you, whatever actions are up to you, choose peace. And that means choosing peace over getting our way. It says this, another phrase, do not repay anyone evil for evil. The New Testament comes out really, really strongly against revenge. Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek, to pray for our enemies, but sometimes we don't always live according to the ways of Jesus in our neighborhoods, do we? Don't we sometimes in our minds think, I'm going to teach my neighbor a lesson, right? He kept me up last night with his noise. I'm going to keep him up tonight, or I'm going to bang pots and pans early in the morning. Show him how it feels. This is kind of what went wrong here with these neighbors. This used to be such a harmonious neighborhood in the previous weeks, but now we have, now we have egg and broken flowers and broken relationship. And at least part of that problem was uh, the back and forth the taking of revenge. You insulted me, I'm going to insult you back. You did something to my house, I'm going to do something back to your house. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew. He says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you to take your shirt, hand over your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Gandhi famously said that eye for eye just makes the whole world blind. And he got that from Jesus. He got that from studying this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, which deeply affected him. If a neighbor wrongs us, Jesus tells them, don't wrong them back. Don't let their bad action 
turn you into a bad actor. Don't get even. That's the way of the world. It's not the way of Jesus. Instead, we see this in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus calls us out on any feuds that we might be in, in which we are trying to establish victory, dominance over someone else. And instead, he calls us into a life of peacemaking. As Christians, we're to be called to be restorers of shalom. Now, you've heard us talk about this before, this Hebrew word shalom, which is such an important part of Scripture. And shalom, the, the, the peace, the true peace of God, is, uh, is beyond just an absence of, of fighting. It's the presence of, of uh, relational unity. It's the presence of justice and fairness among people. Uh, it's, it's the harmonious interconnectedness of the community that's truly at peace. And we as Christians have the very high calling to be makers and restorers of shalom. Is your neighborhood a place of shalom, a place of true peace and harmony? And are you a peacemaker on your streets? Are you building shalom among the people you live near? I think we could agree that right now in our country, in our society, there's a lot of factors that are ripping apart the shalom of the community. There's a lot of ways in which people differ. Probably the, the one that gets the most attention is, is political strife, but there's many others. There's difference in, in culture. There's difference of, of behavior. There's all kinds of things that are constantly tearing at the social fabric, constantly tearing of the peace, the shalom of your neighborhood. But what are you doing about it? Are you jumping in and, and also becoming someone who tears at it or... Are you one of the few people working to knit people together and knit that social fabric back together? How do you do that? How do you become a, a weaver rather than a terror? Well, I think many of you are off to a great start. Uh, just in these last few weeks, if we've been focusing on trying to be good neighbors in our community, I've heard a ton of stories from you about you investing in meaningful relationships with your neighbors. And that's a, that's a powerful start. I want to just, just check in here. This is our last week of the Love Your Neighbor series. I want to just check in and just show hands. How many of you have met at least one neighbor in the last six weeks that you didn't know before? Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. How many of you did something proactive to meet a neighbor or to deepen a relationship? And then how many of you can say that you had a relationship with a neighbor in some way moved to a deeper place? So God bless you for that and keep on going. That you are, you are actually just by doing that, you're, you're weaving the fabric together and you're building shalom. What else? What else is before us? We'll keep looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaks into the brokenness that often happens in our relationship, and he puts the burden of reconciliation on both parties. Now, this is going to apply to your neighborhood. It's also going to apply to your friend group, to people at work, to people at church. He puts the burden of reconciliation on both parties when things go awry. And more particularly, he put the burden on us who would follow Christ, whether we're the offended party 
or whether we're the offender. Chapter five, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who does murder will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Now, Raka is an Aramaic term. It can mean worthless, uh, empty, empty-headed. Now, this first part, it speaks to us because if we are the ones who've been wronged, and we're harboring resentment and bitterness toward a neighbor, it's giving us caution. It's saying, you know, don't, don't give full vent to that. Don't let that take hold of you. You, you need to, to, to be active uh, participant in letting that go. Some of us might be crying out, but they threw chicken guts on my lawn, right? Their dog barks at night. They insulted the paint color of my house. We might harbor resentment. We might call them names. That's my empty-headed neighbor. That's my foolish neighbor. And Jesus warns us, hey, stop that. Stop that. That's not my way. And then the second part of it, sometimes we're the offender, at least in our neighbor's eyes. It says this in verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, it's like there at the temple, you're giving your sacrifice. You might make a mental equation of that to you're here in church offering your praise and your tithe. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not that you have something against them, but you remember, you know what? Somebody is mad at me for something. He's saying, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. I think how significant that is. So much of what they were doing at the temple when they're bringing their gift was to make reconciliation with God. Oh Lord, I have sinned and I've done wrong and here's my offering as a sign of repentance. I wanna be right with you. I wanna be you know, at one with you. And he's saying, if you remember, you know what? Your brother has something against you. They're mad at me about something. He's like, hey, drop that. You can always come back and give your gift and be reconciled with God later. First run over and be reconciled with the person who feels that you wronged them. And so in this place and in many other places, Jesus has this passion for reconciliation among people. And he puts the burden, whether you're the one that messed up or you're the person who's been offended, go make peace. We took a, a moment to consider uh, the neighbors who've been bad to us. And I, I, can, I can give you examples of when I've been frustrated with my neighbors. But I think we also have to take stock of the fact that sometimes we, are, we might be removing the speck from someone else's eye with a, a log in our own, as Jesus also says. So we have to take consideration of what if we're sometimes the bad neighbor? I'm gonna give you some examples of me being a bad neighbor. Try not to judge me too much, okay? I learned one time that I had this very annoying habit of dumping my recycling uh, from the bin inside into the bin outside late at night. Now, I didn't know that this was a problem. I, I, I'm usually up late. I, I, go to, I go to sleep very late, I've always been that way. And I was totally unaware that this would be disturb other people that are early to bed people. And uh, a neighbor one time, that I'd known and been friends with for a long time, finally brought it up to me and says, Matt, please, I've been wanting to talk to you about this. I was just, but by this time he was super frustrated about it. He's like, hey, 
can you please stop dumping your recycling at midnight? And I'm like, what? Well, tell me about it. Cause I have a can full of glass and, and aluminum that I'm dumping into another big glass of aluminum. It's like, apparently it makes it loud, crash, crash, crash. And apparently it was waking up their whole family and scaring them right next to one of their open windows. And I had no idea this was a problem, but apparently they had all talked about it for a while. Now, my dog, currently my dog recently had a half birthday. He's now 16 and a half years old. And he's pretty well behaved now and most of the time. But there's been a couple of uh, phases that he goes through in which apparently he's barking a lot at night. And I've had neighbors bring that up to me, particularly after a raccoon or skunk has been in my yard. I have at times noticed that my neighbors are very fast to bring their trash recycling and yard waste bins up back to where they go as soon as they get picked up. And I've sometimes been the neighbor that takes a couple of days (laughs) to do it. Some of you are judging me. That was one of the rules. Stop doing it. I have kids. Sometimes my kids have punted footballs over fences We have a basketball hoop, and sometimes the basketball has bounced over a fence to where my neighbor keeps his prized truck. That's been a thing. We've worked it out. One time I was walking my dog in my neighborhood, and uh, I always have this uh, the the little thing of the the poop bags, you know, uh, just in case. It's always always there, and it was there. I swear it was there. But, uh, but, But my dog went, and I looked down and I was all out of poop bags. That's a, that's a crisis, right? And, it's, and, and what do you do in that situation? I know, I know what you do. You look around, <laughs> right? Because you're like, I got, I got nothing. I got, I got no, I mean, I can't use my hand. What am I going to do, you know? And then so what you do is you look around. If no one's watching, you tell yourself, I'm going to go home and get a poop bag and come back. But then you go home and you forget. (laughs) I've been that guy once, (laughs) twice maybe. The worst thing, the worst neighbor thing I think that ever was when I was a kid, we had had multiple dogs and the kid's job was always to clean up the, the poop in the backyard. And my siblings really didn't like doing that. So they made a game of it. They used shovels. I swear they started this and I was the last person to join and I was reluctant, okay, but uh, at some point I participated in the catapult game. But we weren't catapulting into the trash can. We're catapulting over the fence to our neighbor's yard who had a pool. And there were bonus points involved. I look back on that now as an adult and I'm like, oh my God. Gosh, like we were the most awful neighbors. But that, that really was a thing when we were, when we were, when we were kids. Don't, don't do that. It's not, it's not okay, okay? All right, now I've just been very vulnerable with you. Would you be vulnerable with your partner and be honest and share with them what do you think is the most annoying habit you have that might be frustrating a neighbor? All right, be honest and vulnerable, okay? Like take a moment with your partner and share with them that. All right.
Let's come back together. Now I see some people animated and I see other people real quiet like, I have no bad habits, <laughs> right? So if we're gonna be people that are building shalom on our street, here's some things that are important, some things we've already gone over. The first one is to know your neighbor. We've been working on that. To know your neighbor, to know their name, to call them by their name, to have a human relationship. We've talked about proactively building warmth and respect with your neighbors. When you wave to them, when you say hi, when you ask them how they're doing, when you engage in actual, real, mutual relationship, that builds a foundation of peace. And then just now we're talking about, hey, how can we be a great neighbor? How can we be kind and considerate and helpful? And then if we mess up, like if we do any of the things we just named, how can we be the ones to apologize, to change and reconcile when we're the ones that mess up, right? Can, can we take the proactive, humble initiative to say, you know what, hey, I'm so sorry about that thing. I wanna do better, let's talk. And then just this last piece, but what about when indeed your neighbor's terrible, all right? What if they're just doing a behavior that is just rough? Well, now we're gonna talk about how to love your bad neighbors, okay? And this is a scripture for the how to love your bad neighbors. First of all, Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All right, we've already talked about not taking revenge, but loving enemies, that's really difficult. To pray for the people who persecute you. Now, I think some of us have endeavored to live that scripture out, and when there's truly an enemy who's out to get us, and we sought to pray for them, but what kind of prayers do we pray? What kind of prayers do you pray over your enemy? Oh, Lord, may their grass turn brown. <laughs> oh, Lord, may their yappy dog die a miserable death. I mean, are we talking about praying curses? I don't think it's that. Sometimes our prayer is, oh Lord, may, may my unreasonable neighbor come over to my perspective and opinion. May they have a, a conversion experience to know that I am right. I think what Jesus is talking about is actually to pray for their good, to pray for their blessing, to, to, to pray for the thriving of your enemy. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus prayed literally from the cross. He prayed for the forgiveness of the Roman soldiers who were killing him. Oh Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. To pray for the good of your neighbor who is not good. And then finally a word about forgiveness. Jesus encourages us in the Lord's Prayer and in uh, other places to forgive other people even as the Lord forgives us. So how do we learn to forgive neighbors when they wrong us? First, what it doesn't mean. Forgiveness does not mean ignoring or excusing. Those, those are sometimes appropriate, but they're a different process. To excuse something is uh, to say, you know what, they're not responsible, right? I, I, know, I know they drove over my sprinkler, but, you know, I didn't have it marked. I don't know. And you're like, okay, uh, you're excusing that. 
And then ignoring, sometimes it's like, you know what, this thing that they do is, is frustrating for me, but I can just judge that it's not that big a deal, and I'm just going to let it go. And those are good choices that you can make on occasion. Sometimes we excuse and sometimes we ignore, but that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you actually take the offense seriously. This is actually a wound. This is an actual way in which I have been wronged. And yet it's a choice not to hold it against them, the person forever, not to harbor a grudge, not to seek vengeance. I, I'm not going to let this rule over me or, or, or cause me to have kind of a mental condemnation of my neighbor. But then just here's this last distinction within the realm of forgiveness. You can think about them in two different ways. There's like unilateral and there's mutual forgiveness. And unilateral forgiveness is something, a lot of kind of what's taught um, in, in, in Western culture, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a role for it, but it's not the complete biblical picture. But unilateral forgiveness is when we talk about forgiveness as um, something that depends entirely on us. It's, it's, um, it's uh, an individual choice. I am going to kind of release this from my consciousness. I'm going to release this from my heart. And irregardless of the repentance or any interaction with the person who offended me, I am just going to let go of the bitterness that I hold against this person. And that, that's kind of a, a particularly a popular view of forgiveness in, in Western culture. Uh, and sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes that's all you can do because you don't have a partner who's the person who offended you. Maybe they still pose a threat, uh, a further danger, and you're never going to have uh, reconciliation with them because it's not, it's not safe or advisable. Or sometimes they're just someone who just, they do not care about your feelings. They will not interact with you. And, and so all you can do is the unilateral forgiveness. There's a, there's a place and a role for that. But the, the, the more complete uh, process would be the mutual forgiveness uh, in which you're able to have a conversation with the person and bring up the way in which you've been wronged and give the person a chance to repent of their action, to make things right, and then kind of renegotiate how the relationship will be like going forward. For example, when I was dumping my recycling late at night and waking up the family next door, they had the guts to come and approach me and to tell me about that. And then I had the opportunity to show them that I cared about them. I had the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about that. I, did not, I didn't even know that I, was, that I was causing you a problem. I'm so glad you, I apologize, and I will work in the future. And then that gives them an ability to then forgive me in a, in a mutual way that, that builds reconciliation. So if you have any situation like that, I'll just give you just a few, a few kind of pointers on how to go through that. The first one is to ask them for an opportunity to discuss. It's, it's, if you need to talk to someone about something that your neighbor has done that frustrated you, don't try to catch them as they're on their way to work in the morning. Even if that's the only time you see them, that's not the right time. Don't try to talk to them while their kids are kind of pulling on their pant legs. You need to ask them, say, hey, there's something I want to talk to you about. Do you get, is now a good time or, or would it be better later? I just maybe five, 10 minutes. And, and you know, seek an, an appointment where you can actually have the conversation. Secondly, I, I just encourage you to begin by affirming the neighbor and affirm the relationship. You know, like, hey, th thank you. I just really uh, appreciate you. I, I see these good qualities that you have, and I want to be committed to being a good neighbor to you. So that they're not just only hearing from you maybe what they've done wrong. And then third, explain to them how something negatively affected you. Just like, hey, you know, you know when you dump the recycling, it, I don't know if you know this, but it, it, it's waking us up. 
You know, it's not an accusatory, but you're so inconsiderate. It's not an accusation. It's just a, here, here's, here's what happens. Here's when you do this, this is just an effect that it's having on me. And then invite them into partnership in how to solve the problem. You know, the, hey, the, 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 notice the basketball is coming over the fence and it's hitting my truck. I wonder if, uh, if we could uh, work in partnership together. Is there something we could build, like a net or something we could install that might, that might prevent that? Is there some way that we could be a team together to solve the problem? And the next step would be to listen to their perspective. Don't go into the conversation assuming that you have all the facts, that you know everything about it, that yours is the only perspective that matters. Be interested in what their perspective on the situation is. Thank them for the chance to, to even have the discussion. Thank you so much for being willing to hear, hear me out. I just really appreciate that. And then be patient with them. Some, some of the times the mistake we make is we're like demanding an answer. Like, and I need to know your answer right now. That's not the way to approach it. Be like, hey, just think it over, give them time, and, and, and I'd just love to hear if you have any more thoughts on the topic, right? So you can be patient with them. And I think if you put these things together, then your neighbor, you give yourself an opportunity to go through the whole biblical model of, of uh, reconciliation, with repentance, with forgiveness, and with restored relationship. Now, we try to practice this in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to also practice this in our relationships at work, uh, at school, and in our neighborhoods. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the opportunity to study it. And right now, I just pray. We, we pray together over any um, conflicts there are on our neighborhoods, in our apartment buildings, on our streets. We just pray that, uh, that you would work. We pray that there would be miracles of reconciliation, that there would be forgiveness, and that we would be known as builders of the peace and shalom of this city. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us uh, today. Uh, your presence matters here, and we're so, so grateful for it. Um, today concludes our series on uh, the loving your neighbor, and uh, we still have some of the books of The Art of Neighboring in the back. If any of you would like them, just go ahead and take them for free today. We'd rather get, have them get read, so you can grab those uh, from the back um, table. Uh, the next series we're doing, the next eight weeks, are focused on people that, are, that are, have big questions. Is there a God? Uh, can, the, can the Bible be trusted? Who is this Jesus guy? So uh, we just encourage you to take these. If you have anyone in your life that you think that maybe a neighbor, uh, maybe a friend at work, may, maybe a relative, you might be able to just give this to them and say, hey, you know what? I know you got questions. This is it's kind of what we're looking at. You, you'd be invited to join us. And so it'll be a combination of of time where we have here Sunday morning and also some discussion groups where they can go and, and ask those. Uh, if any of you would like prayer, uh, right over here, we've got people ready to pray for you about anything going on in your life at all. And they'll keep it confidential and you can just pray with them. Uh, if any of you are new, uh, new to the church, I'd love to meet you and I'd love to show you around. So right over here, we've got uh, Taste and See. And if you meet me over here, I'll give you a tour of the place, introduce you to some friends. Uh, we'll have kind of a, kind of a progressive uh, lunch around the campus. It should be fun. So if you're new here or just curious about it, uh, you can come right there. Uh, now hear this blessing, this benediction. And now may the God that loves you, the God who gave his son to reconcile the world, may he work in your neighborhood. May he soften hardened relationships. May he build peace, shalom on your street. May you delight in God's work in the homes around you. 
May you you feel his presence as he makes his glory and his love known to everyone that you meet. God bless you.